We're going to spend a short time uh, following in our series now, looking in the Bible. We're looking in Ephesians, and today we've reached Ephesians 5, and uh, Tim is going to start off by sharing, and I'm going to join him. And the subject is husbands and wives. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to read the passage. <laughs> submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church his body of which so his body of which he is the savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of the body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The Apostle Paul, who wrote those words in Ephesians chapter 5, is often described by some theologians as a bit of an academic, a bit of a man in dusty in books and that kind of thing. And he was very intelligent. But when you read all of Ephesians and all that we've read in Ephesians in the last few weeks, there's no way we get the impression that this guy is without passion for Jesus. He's thoroughly, absolutely sold out for Jesus, isn't he? And everything we've heard in the last few weeks, he talks about the amazing grace and blessing that God has poured out. That isn't a man who just likes the idea of getting another degree. It's a man who is absolutely sold out for Jesus and for the development of the church. And he's passionate for the church. He's passionate to see the church grow. It's not surprising given the fact that he is an apostle and one of the things that apostles do is plant churches. So that's really where I want to start this morning by saying. And we, we've really been um, enjoying together these words in Ephesians. Uh, a few weeks ago, I hope you'll remember, I spoke about uh, how Ephesians begins with that amazing uh, blessing, those amazing words of grace, the fact that we're who we are in Christ, who we are, each one of us, who, how, who God has made us to be, the amazing people that we are. 
and he goes on to just remind each one of those in the uh, Christians in uh, Ephesians uh, to really get it that they have been called and loved and saved. That's nice, isn't it? But he doesn't leave it there. Because Paul's had purpose in his letter and he wanted to get them grounded in that as a foundation. Which he then goes on to say, okay, so if, if you'll be blessed in that amazing way, if that is your experience, if that is who you are in Christ, how should you then live? How should we then be? What should we then do? How should we then treat one another? And then we started to look at that. And in the end, <coughs> you can boil it down a lot of what Ephesians says uh, as being, he told them to love one another. Which was pretty good, really. He told them to love one another. Um, the challenge, of course, about that is that we make a pretty pig, pig, we make a pig's breakfast of that so very often, don't we? Mm. Yeah, of loving one another. And, he, and Paul knew that. He did. He, it's his, his experience too that he made a pig's breakfast out of loving one, each other. On our own, we can't do it. And we need the empowering Holy Spirit. And Paul's encouragement to live a life filled with the Spirit, a life of walking by the Spirit, was um, what I shared a little bit more about the other week. And I asked you all to stir up that spirit within you that's with you by the laying on of hands. In particular, we looked all too briefly at the gifts of Christ to the church and the ministry of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Then two weeks ago, Vladimir took us on a, a wonderful look at what it means to grow in that empowerment, to grow in Christ and he was very strong that we did that not out of law but of grace fixing our eyes on Jesus and Keith then extended this as he called us to be imitators of God in Christ all from the inside out this isn't as Rick said it well this morning I think, we're not here as a religious service if you've not been with us before or if you, you know you've seldom been with us this isn't about gathering on a Sunday morning as a club it's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and letting that develop and grow inside us. And as a result of that, everything else will flow from that. Not by saying, to, okay, um, rule 243 says I have to do this. Or I must make sure that I prayed this morning. I must make sure I've read my Bible. That is not a relationship. So that's where we've arrived at today. That's a bit of an intro. And uh, we come to these wonderfully easy verses in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, thanks, Matt. <laughs> um, they're not easy words, actually. They're challenging words. And if we keep in our heads all the time that Sue and I share today, what we've learned so far, that it's about relationship, and we, we do all of this out of love for Christ, out of a developed love for Christ in us, in each one of us, as a relationship with Jesus, then we can actually get there. 
because we get to these words at the beginning of Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. 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 That's a word, isn't it? He doesn't just say that. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit. Children, submit to your parents. There's some children of parents here and parents of children here today. (laughs) Slaves, submit to your masters. Workers, submit to your bosses maybe but also slaves submit to your masters that's what it says whoa hang on a cotton picking moment I'm not doing it I'm not submitting I refuse to submit it's not possible is it to submit no not It's not possible if you choose to live by law. If you choose to mark it, you know, how much submission have I done today? Not possible. It's not possible. Hang on. What, Tim? You're standing here and you're contradicting what Paul says? Wait for it, guys. And it isn't possible. It isn't possible, but we're all asked to do it. Reminds me so much of some of the teaching of Jesus. We're all asked to do it out of reverence for Christ. That's what it is. We do so out of a walk with Christ, empowered by the Spirit. But why should I submit? Why should I? Why should I submit to my mum? Why? The word submission two bits isn't it sub mission just let's get there sub means under lower mission means mission job task purpose submission to go lower to achieve a mission let me say that again to you And you'd be thinking, to go lower, to achieve a mission. I wonder who we know who might have done that. Who was higher? Who was at the right hand of the throne of God? Jesus. Jesus. Who was in the beginning creating all things? Jesus. Who is risen? Ascended and glorified. Jesus. Jesus. In Philippians 2, it says, maybe you'd like to turn to it. Philippians chapter 2. Familiar passage. What does it say? Quote a bit from memory rather than looking up personally, but you can see it there. Jesus, who was in very nature... In very nature, God. 
did not consider equality with God something to be aspired to or attained to, but made himself lower. Made himself lower than the heavenly beings. Or however your version puts it. Hebrews 12. The beginning of Hebrews 12. One of my favourite passages at the moment. I've been sharing it with good friends in recent days. Where it says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And then it goes on to talk about, and then went and sat on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such evil, such from evil men, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus was on a sub-mission. Jesus in the upper room with a towel around his waist and stinky feet in his hands was on a sub-mission. Jesus had a mission that his kingdom would grow into all the earth and we the church would model kingdom principles. And key to those kingdom principles is submission. I, I know what it's like. Some of you are sitting there and thinking, but I can't submit to him. I can't submit. No, you can't. But he will empower you too. He will give you the peace too. He will enable you too. Jesus' mission is absolutely key to this. If I submit to my parents and they submit to theirs, we begin to see kingdom. Don't we? I think important point just before I ask Sue to share something. Very important key issue about submission. We're not called to submit to sin. Yeah. Yeah? We're not to sin out of submission to one who is not in submission to Christ. Or to put it another way, we're not called to sin under submission. All right, but for someone who is um, in relationship with Jesus, then yes, we're called to submit. Sue, do you want to come and share with us? I'm I'm going off in a slightly slightly different direction, but I wanted to um, explore the bit where it talks about. Um, the mystery. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And I've never, you know, I've read this passage a number of times before, and I don't think that aspect has stood out. You know, we all read the bit, submit, um, respect, you know, husband loves your wives. This bit here, so for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And I, 
did some reading and of course that little phrase actually starts out life in Genesis which is the very first book of the Bible in the second chapter when we hear we've got the whole information and story about Adam and Eve we get this phrase and what um, I came to understand if you like through the reading is that this model of uh, leadership and submission and the two becoming one is a picture that God wanted to give us of the church. So actually, in our relationship, whether it's person to person or wife to husband, that actually when we echo that leadership submission, we're actually <coughs> echoing the pattern that Jesus wants for the church. Because um, in the picture that we see about the church, we, we're told, aren't we, that, that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church, and that we are one with him. And that's why we're getting these kind of intertwining pictures. Um, I, I felt when I was kind of preparing, it was a bit like Tim was going to look at some of the detail, and I'm I'm looking at, at this kind of the See big, <laughs> the big, the big stroke, <laughs> um, and I got quite excited about the mystery bit, and I wanted to draw out a couple of things before I come back to the husband and wife bit. So there's a mystery that Paul talks about in Colossians, okay, and he says, um, I have become its servant, uh, this is the, the gospel, in the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I wanted to just expand the mystery, really, to talk about the fact that, first of all, the mystery, as we come to Jesus, as we give our lives to him, as he comes and lives inside us, that is a mystery. The fact that Almighty God in some way comes to live inside us. And, so, and that's the hope of glory for each one of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we have that oneness. The two. Jesus and me. Jesus has come to live inside me by his spirit. And so the two have become one. That is a mystery. I don't know about what you think. It's a mystery to me. Um, and it's something that I guess most of us that have welcomed Jesus into our life, we're taking a lifetime to explore what that means in our day-to-day -day life. Then we have the image of the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, 
becoming one flesh. And again, you've got the two becoming one. And let's face it, that's a kind of mystery as well. Um, one of the things... It, it, it's, it, I feel in a way it's like turning it on its head. Us trying to think church, Jesus and the church, it's a picture of, of a marriage between Jesus and the church. And so that model of submission that Tim started off talking about, that's what we're trying to model in our relationships. And it's really... Maybe it's strange for us to think that that picture of how God was seeing Jesus and the church was right there from Genesis, that, that, that model. So you've got an idea and you've got modelling it out. And so, if you like, what we're saying is that the roles of husbands and wives are rooted in the distinctive roles of Christ and his church. God means by marriage to say something about his son and his church by the way husbands and wives relate to each other. Tim made a, a comment about this stuff is tricky. And, you know, when we got married, I actually used the word obey in our wedding ceremony. Um, I promised that I would obey him. Tim didn't make that promise. And in today's culture... That is weird, you know. It is considered a bit, a bit strange. Um, but as Tim will also talk in the second, the bit that he's going to do, there's something about the mutual submission one to another, but also there is something in that leadership and that submission that we see in the church that we also are trying to model in our relationship. So, have we always got it right? Mm, now let me think. <laughs> no, <laughs> we haven't always got it right. And in that respect, I mean, have I always expressed the best side of submission? No, sometimes I've struggled with it. Has Tim always um, managed to love me in the way that Christ loved the church? He's done really, really well. <laughs> He's done really well. But we're imperfect people and we're trying to work out a relationship. So both of us have, have messed up at different times. But also at times we've got it right. And actually, I mean, I remember a time, this is quite early on in our, our marriage, where I was really struggling with something with the Holy Spirit. And Tim said to me, he said, you need to repent of your attitude towards the Holy Spirit. I was challenged, shall we say, unlike, you know. <laughs> but I listened to what he said, and actually I knew he was right. Part of me didn't really know why I needed to, to um, repent of my attitude. But it was part of me that did. But he said to me, you need to repent. And I obeyed him in that. I did repent, even though I wasn't sure. Um, I didn't fully understand why I needed to repent. But there was, something, there was something not right in my attitude. And 
I can honestly say that from that point of repentance with uh, my attitude towards the Holy Spirit, I've been able to learn and experience the Holy Spirit along my life. And I see that as a key moment. Um, so when we look at those past, these bits about husband and wives, it's like we're saying that the wife needs to find a distinctive way of expressing her role in the marriage relationship as the church expresses their role in their relationship to Jesus. And uh, then the husbands, it's like they need to find a distinctive role as a husband in copying the way that Christ relates to the church. Husband, loves your, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, I'm going to move on. Second illustration of two becoming one that I want to draw your attention to is what um, happened with the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, we've looked at the book of Romans, been looking at Ephesians, and we've had a very strong, clear message about how God reconciled the Jew and the Gentile. And it says um, in Ephesians 2, okay, it says that uh, for he himself, this is verse 14, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in, in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So we have another picture here of the fact that Jesus reconciled the Jews and the Gentiles together, and he was making a new humanity. So the two have become one. And I just thought... I'm like, this is a mystery, how this is all working out. And then last of all, what I wanted to draw your attention to is the picture of Jesus and us as the church, his body. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body to through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Now, we referred to that without blemish before. So, in what he has done on the cross, he is able to present each one of us holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. So that's just that kind of mystery theme there with the two that shall become one. 
and I'm going to hand over to, back to Tim now. Thanks, darling. That's really good. That's quite something to take on, isn't it? You could spend quite a lot of time just munching on that bit of word uh, in the weeks ahead. Maybe you want to go back to those three, three passages and, and just see how that all wonderfully interweaves. In the middle of this encouragement, I was aware that uh, Paul dropped in a phrase that should um, really actually quite make us sit up and gasp. I talked about submission, I talked about you know, wives submitting, children submitting, slaves submitting, us submitting to one another. But Paul drops in the phrase, this phrase, husbands love your wives. It's nice isn't it? Buy a box of chocolates, a bunch of flowers. That's not what Paul wrote, was it? Paul didn't write that. Paul didn't write, husbands love your wives. What did he write? Husbands loves your wives as Christ loves the church. In the same manner as Christ loved the church. By the same measure as Christ loves the church. Forty years ago today, on this day, forty years ago, I made a vow before God to love, honour and keep her, forsaking all others in sickness and health as long as we shall both live. As Christ loves the church. And without question, my darling, I've frequently failed, frequently failed to live up to that standard. And without fail, my wife has forgiven me when I have failed. What is the nature of Christ's love for the church? It doesn't have a limit. It is without limit. It was the very purpose for which he came to the earth. The reason why the baby in Bethlehem was that he could bring all into the church. The whole of the planet. He came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My debt to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky without limit. My testimony is also that I do love my wife and within our relationship we've found a way through trials, heartache, joys and celebrations. But I know, and this is key, I know that we are at our best when I am at my best in my relationship with Christ and when Sue is at her best in her relationship with Christ. When my marriage echoes just, just faintly, Jesus, who demonstrated what it means to love. I'm going to pray, um, to pray for all of us. Father, 
I'm aware that across this room, me included, we can think of people for whom we find it hard, so very, very hard to submit. And Lord, sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's not. But we need your empowering Holy Spirit to come and help us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord, I thank you so much for that work among each one of us. That kingdom work which builds us. And I choose today too to also pray for men who have made a promise across this room to love their wives as Christ loved the church. I pray for each one that they would know your empowering Holy Spirit breathing through them. Loving God, thank you for this mystery, this wonderful thing of the two shall become one. The bride of Christ, Jew and Gentile, and you in us, the hope of glory. Amen. So you guys probably won't believe this. Um... Several, several months ago, we agreed as an eldership team that we would preach our way through Ephesians. And as I was planning that at home, I knew straight away that these two would be taking this verse. I had no idea that it fell on their 40th wedding anniversary. You won't believe me when I say that, but it is true. Um, we've got a few minutes left. I want to take the opportunity. Can we bless this couple who have served this church for over 30 years? For 13 of those, they led it. They've served it diligently as their marriage. They've made sacrifice for the church. So can we can we really take some time now to bless them? It is their 40th wedding anniversary. They're not retiring for another 50 years. So we, so we know the marriage is going to last another 50 years at least. But can we can we bless them now before we go? And I think is everyone invited to afternoon tea? Yes. Yeah, everyone's so invited. Four, four o'clock. We're going to celebrate. There's a big marquee. There's yeah. not so much champagne left after last night. But, but there, there is, is still some, some champagne, yeah. yes. <laughs> Bless you, let's pray.